the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Steelers Seahawks this Sunday at Heinz Field. Let's break down how you attack these guys, both offensively and defensively. Jacob Reck, Tom Offerman here with you on another edition of the Steelers Standard. Let's start with the Steelers' offensive game plan, running the football. That's really how it has to start. That's how it has to finish. They had their best performance last week against the Broncos, 145 yards as a team. Najee Harris with 125 of those yards himself. Breakout performance for him on the ground after having his breakout performance through the air just a couple of weeks prior to that. So Najee Harris definitely putting himself on the map uh, last week. Now he gets to do it under the Sunday night football lights. Um and he gets to do it against the rushing defense that surrenders 145 yards on the ground per game so far this year, 31st out of 32 teams in the entire NFL. So it's real obvious here. Uh, I mean, you got to just continue to build off of the momentum in the running game that you had just one week prior against the Broncos, who only gave up 70 yards on the ground. So you were facing a team that gives up or you're facing a team this week that gives up literally double the amount of yardage that the team you faced the week prior to did. I mean, you have got to run this football effectively. If for whatever reason the Seahawks are able to stop your rushing attack, you can still pass the ball on them. I still don't think that's an excuse, even if they're having early success. To stop. You just keep going. Because they're going to break at some point. They literally use a revolving door as far as their defensive linemen and who is playing. They will throw everybody and anybody out there. Ten different tackles and ends have played at least 100 snaps for the Seahawks in just five games this year. Uh, It is a committee in every sense of the word, and I don't think it's a committee in the way that the Broncos were a committee where – there's a lot of quality depth there, and that's why they rotate a lot of guys in and out because there's not a real drop-off in skill. Mm-hmm. I think there's just not a lot of skill on that Seattle defensive line Agreed. that they're throwing in a lot of bodies just hoping that they'll find the right combination they're, that'll they're stop something, at the wall and hoping, hoping four sticks. guys will stick. Yeah. yeah, and just hasn't really happened to that point yet. Uh, Carlos Dunlap is the name that everybody will recognize on that defensive line. However, he's not the same player that he was in Cincinnati. He was not. He is not. And none of the guys up front, Puna Ford, I mean, they don't really strike any fear into your heart. And Mm -hmm. I I think if you're a fantasy player and you have Najee on your team or if you're a daily fantasy player, it's a good week to draft Najee Harris because I I see him going even more on the ground than he did against Denver. Yeah, this is... As it as it happens with a lot of rookies, it takes some time to adjust or 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 catch up to the speed of the pros. And last week we saw him get his first 100 yard game on the ground. I think Tom, even though we know we designate last week as his breakout performance, this is this is the day that Najee Harris arrives. A, it's because it's a great matchup for him. B, it's going to be on a nationally televised game. I think this is the game truly where everyone can start to respect the name Najee Harris league-wide. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he was on Good Morning Football yesterday. yesterday. Watched that interview. Mm-hmm. He's he's great personality. Yeah, I mean, he really he's is. got everything that could make him a star in the NFL. That wasn't even the biggest thing that happened to him yesterday. 
Meeting Jerome Bettis. Meeting he had a nice meet and greet. A, a little a little tape session with with Jerome Bettis. Hall of Famer Jerome Bettis. Not bad, Najee. Not bad, but it's kind of class he is in, man. He's he's in that elite kind of upper echelon. So could be one of the greats if he stays healthy and continues on this trajectory. I mean, uh, they were talking about it in the the Good Morning Football interview. I mean, the the way that you run, the punishing style, the fact that you don't go down when you get hit first. I mean. I can't. I, I you can I count on one I hand. I was gonna say I don't. I can't tell you the last time I saw Najee Harris have any run and have him be stopped on this first contact made. I'm just, even more than that. I can count on one hand. I think the times he's had a loss as far as a run goes. Like I, he does not get tackled behind the line of scrimmage. And if he does, it's not his fault. No, but even when he does get hit behind the line of scrimmage, he he's gets still back. still managing to get back. He gets back to the line of scrimmage. He never puts the Steelers really behind the chains. And I've been saying this all week, man. If you're a defender and you go to tackle Najee one-on-one, just buckle up, man. You might as well just give him an extra five yards because you're going to go for a ride that you're not going to like until – your teammates can get over there and help you bring him in to the ground. So I think that he's – and you heard Tomlin say after the Denver game he's getting better every single week, and they're not even impressed by that because that's the expectation. They expect right. him to get better every week because he's a super smart dude and he's got every athletic ability in the world you could possibly want. I think this week is just going to be another step in that building block process, and he's going to have an absolute baller performance uh, – I think 150 total yards is Oof. definitely on the table. I, I don't even know if that's on the table. I think that should be the floor. 150 rushing yards. Maybe. Might Maybe be alone. Yeah, right. Yeah. So he should have a huge, We know he's capable day. of doing both. We know he's capable of getting 100 yards through the air and on the ground. And if anybody was worried about his uh, ability to hold up, you know, obviously the cramping happening, he said after the game that uh, he's from California, as we all know. They don't really have the humidity like they do here in Pittsburgh. Said that was one of the main reasons why he cramped up. Body's just not used to that humidity uh, growing time, up though. in California. Give it time and unseasonably warm here, Najee, for this time of year. So usually in October football in your career here in Pittsburgh, won't have to worry about 80-degree days at Heinz Field on a Sunday. I mean, today's going to be 80 degrees. Too. And it certainly won't be the case on Sunday night. I think it's like 60 is the high. So Maybe, maybe even better so now we're, we're talking about all these factors adding up in the Steelers' favor. Yeah, it's going to be the coldest game he plays all year so far. Those, those muscles should be nice and loose. No need for a cramp. Should be able to ice the game unlike he was able to do against the Denver Broncos. It's not just about Najee, though. Do you, wait, before we move on, do you think if Najee Harris doesn't cramp up and he plays for the yes. majority of the fourth quarter, yes. that's not even a game. They get the first down, especially on the Benny Snell run. But I, does, I mean, like, you don't even have that Benny Snell run as a as a factor because I think at that point the game is all right. You're, you're not even worried about a third down. Because... Perhaps. Yeah, he might have gotten it on second down. Yeah. But I think the game's iced without Denver having the fire drill at the Steelers' 10 where Pierre has to pick it off, certainly, if, if the oh, Najee's healthy. There's no way that it comes to that. Maybe they get one of their... Their two, touchdowns. One of their two touchdowns, if most, they have two scoring drives, but not three long drives. Well, they won't get the ball back for that third drive as well. Right, but yeah. I'm saying like at, at least maybe the game ends by them trying to throw for the end zone, but it's still they're down by 14 points. It's not like just about him, though. The line has to continue to mm -hmm. make strides and move forward. Still not super sure on the status of Zach Banner as we sit here right now. Uh, needs to play. Needs to be 
on that roster or else you're going to lose him for the rest of the season to injured reserved. I think you do see him get put out maybe on the roster or activated. I don't know if you see him contribute until perhaps after the bye week, though. I feel like they're kind of slowly working him in. And honestly, this is going to sound stupid because their line's not that great, so you need all the help you can get. But you had a lot of progress last week against Denver. Do you really want to throw that off by throwing another cook in the kitchen, by throwing Banner in there and having everybody do adjust? I mean, maybe you just ride the hot hand and – keep the five that were the starters against the Broncos as your five starters against the Seahawks, and you throw a lot of doses of Gentry and, and Derek Watt out there to, to beef things up and help in the, the get the running game and the pass protection going. Maybe that's just the – just keep trying to stay the course with that continuity, and maybe they take another step forward against the Seahawks. What do we always say, Tom? Continuity and chemistry. And they showed chemistry last week and they and continuity. It was the first time all season long – where all five starters played 100% of the snaps. And, and what's up with Chooks? I mean, the guy has been the biggest question mark maybe out of all, and then he shuts Von Miller completely down. Va- Did you hear Von Miller's name once Not last once. Sunday? I don't think I, I, don't, on the, I literally don't think I heard it one time. He never showed up on the stat sheet. Um, I know, obviously, Chooks had help throughout the game. I'm not an idiot, but for the most part, it's a core of you got to give Von credit Miller. to Chooks. Yeah, absolutely. He played his best game of the season so far. I don't think there's any question about that. So I uh, got a little cautious optimism rolling with that offensive line mm-hmm. as we head to the Seattle game. Again, that's a defensive line that can be pushed around, more, more so than the Denver Broncos line that they just did push around. So I, I'm, I'm excited to see if they can take another step forward and – I think one thing that's clear is that left side is getting better every single week, and that's the side that I've said all along. At least you've got your potential there. At least you've got your your hope on that side with two rookies, Moore and Green, and second-year man Kevin Dotson. Like At least you can see that left side, those three guys being staples of this offensive line for years and years to come. And I think you're seeing Kendrick Green more than all the other two that I just named takes steps forward every single week. He looks like he's going to be really good. Dan Moore, uh, what's the ceiling really going to be on him? You don't ever know, but he at least is a serviceable tackle as a rookie. So that's good news already. And Dotson's been just solid. I mean, I don't think that he's been terrible. I don't think he he's hasn't been, been all as pro. Good. Yeah, we, we had said in one of our training camp episodes that we be a pro Dotson to be a pro bowler, but be on that verge of maybe making that second team all pro. Probably not going to happen, but he's solid. And that's all you can really ask for as they continue to improve. But the left side, yeah, it looks good. And then you get the best performance out of the right side with Chooks and Trey Turner, not false start. Tr- not false. Chooks had a couple false starts at home again, which is very upsetting. And, and it's, it's definitely it's weird when they come at home. It's, it's always weirder when they come at home. Here's why I think it happened in the Denver game. If you noticed on Chooks' false starts, they were about a half a second before the ball snapped. He just had the hard count wrong? No, I think he's just trying his extra hardest to beat Von Miller to the spot. <laughs> but he, he jumps half a second early, too, cause, and I would, too. In I anticipation mean, of Von Miller exactly. rush, so bull rushing. I think maybe that's in his head a little bit. It shouldn't be in your head, and it's no excuse to false start. But you ask, why are you doing it at home? I think you're doing it at home because of who's lining up across from you. It makes you jump a little bit, maybe a little too early, because he's a Hall of Famer. So. He is. 
But it wasn't a Hall of Famer on Sunday. No, he was not. Jukes made up for those false start penalties for sure. And Trey Turner just didn't act like an idiot. So that's that's a progress in the right direction there. And I think no spitting on guys. No this spitting Sunday. on guys. I don't think we saw a false start from him either. Uh, after we saw what one or two against Green yeah. Bay. So he's definitely learning. They're they're definitely all improving. We we keep saying, is it a baby step or is it a crawl? The, it's 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 something, right? I don't know exactly what you can categorize it as as of now, but there's definitely some semblance of progress for the unit. For the unit as a whole and then individually those five guys you, you see are improving week by week. I don't know who said it, but someone made the comment. I, I think it was Prezuda who said... I love the enthusiasm that Kendrick Green provides, except he's still getting beat on the line. It's good to see that he's not letting it get to him. He's showing enthusiasm, and he's showing that he can keep up if the play develops down the field. Even though he was in the pocket, he'll still run up to try to catch up to the play, which is good. And I think that's something that we talked about earlier about James Pierre saying, just don't let it get into your head, right? right? Keep your memory fresh. And it's unfortunate that he's getting beat a little more frequently than you would like to admit, considering he was your highest-drafted lineman in the last two years. However, it doesn't seem to be bothering him. It doesn't seem no. to be getting him down, which would, which would then escalate his problems. No, and I'm okay with him having some hiccups along the way as a rookie. You know, you can't expect them to just come in and be the best center in football. Mm-hmm. He, like as a third rounder too. That's exactly it. A lot of people need to remember, like the pedigree is not top ten pick. This is no. like even though he's same with Kevin Dotson, yeah, a fourth round pick exactly. Before. You're trying to find diamonds in the rough here. You know what I mean? Not this isn't not. Penny it's Soul. not the deep rough. We're this not isn't Rashawn Slater. Yeah. This isn't Christian Darrisaw. Now it's not the deep rough. It's not sixth, seventh round picks. Right. There's talent in the third and fourth rounds, but it's definitely the rough that you're trying to pick a diamond out of. And yeah, you know. People were so quick to jump on the, oh, he's wearing number 53. Oh, he's got that mean streak in him like Pounce. Do you see him pull? You see him run down the field? He's an athlete like Pounce. Pounce was a first-round pick. This is a third-round pick. So as much as the excitement and the similarities were cropping up about him, I think people forgot about that part the most. Is Pounce had a little more pedigree. Uh, both coming from Power 5 schools. That Florida school's got a little more weight behind than Illinois. <laughs> just, a, just a tad more. Just a touch. But I think the potential's still there for Green. Can it's you just... name me one other Illinois fo- college football player oh, in the past man. five years? Oh, I don't man. think I could. Oh, man. I know Lovey Smith Lovie was Smith there. coached them. I know Yeah, that. no longer. Oh, man, no, I can't. I really can't. I just that, But that further proves R- Richard up, Mendenhall. From, Bam. from 10 years, Boom. 12 years ago. Boom, Forgot baby. Rashard Mendenhall, Rush Hard from the Illinois Fighting Illini. That's um, it, though. Yeah, I can't really think of any others. That, but, but that further proves our point. But the point remains, I think Kendrick Green, obviously there's going to be some negatives that you can take from his game as a rookie. It's just expected. And I mm-hmm. think that the fact that he's enthusiastic and he's showing growth is super encouraging. It's like you just said. Same thing as the James Pierre mindset. He's checking that box off. He's got NFL mentality, and that's a huge step in the right direction for this rookie. Uh, Looking at the wide receiver core, obviously they're going to be diminished without Juju Smith-Schuster. Statuses of Washington and Claypool up in the air. Optimistic Claypool will play. Washington kind of less so. 
uh, Deontay Johnson full go in practice, so you'll definitely have his um, pass catching abilities. Claypool and Johnson, I think, have separated themselves as the number one and number two receivers, even with Juju being healthy. I hope those two can continue to break out. I love Deontay and that deep ball that him and Ben have been getting going. I think that there's going to be opportunities for that against the Seattle secondary in this game as well. Look to take the top off of that defense with Deontay Johnson. And look, I think you can pass on the Seattle defense, and that's kind of attractive for Ben Roethlisberger and the the Steelers offense, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. But, guys, I don't think there's any coincidence that that you rushed the ball 10 more times than you passed against Denver, and Ben had his best-looking performance of the entire season. You know what I mean? Like, I think those two kind of go hand-in-hand. Let's try to keep that formula moving as we go forward here. It's kind of like what you see out of Cleveland. Right, the, yeah, they the protect Browns their do, quarterback. The Browns do a better job when Baker Mayfield isn't throwing the ball 40, 30 or forty times per game. They do better when it's Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunstay. They hide their quarterback, mm-hmm. and Ben Roethlisberger. You hate to have to say that about him because I laugh when I say you have to hide Baker Mayfield because I think it's hilarious that he might not be all who they thought he's going to be in Cleveland once again. Uh, still better than anybody they've had though at that quarterback position in a long time. Sure, uh, I hate to say that with Ben that you got to hide Ben because he's a Hall of Famer and he doesn't deserve that. But at this point in his career, for his own benefit, you kind of got to hide him a little bit. You kind of got to make things a lot easier on him to get the most out of him. And you saw that mm-hmm. against Denver. You got the most out of him because he only threw the ball twenty-five times. He ran the ball thirty-five. They ran the ball thirty-five. That's exactly what you got to do that. moving forward. I'd love to see that for the rest of the season. Absolutely. That's the way to go about it. Uh, you'll see Ben have his best games when you ask him to do a lot less. It's just, Tom, it's so frustrating because we don't know ex- what what is being said in these team meetings throughout the week. You know, There have been so many times over the last, I would say, a little more than a year now because it, it dates back to last season when the offense really started to stutter or sputtered down the down the stretch down the final stretch of, of late November and all of December last year, when we were saying it's clear to us what works for this team, and yet you wouldn't see it translated onto the field onto what the Steelers actually executed on game days. Now this is the I think this is the first time, even though the Steelers had a good day against the Indianapolis Colts in December last year, it was in a valiant comeback effort effort rather. But it wasn't a, a full 60 minutes of good football, right? It, it, it required a comeback effort and required only Ben Roethlisberger and the receivers. There was essentially no run game involved. I, I, I don't think it's outlandish of me to say this was against the Broncos, the best offensive performance you had seen out of the Steelers since that 11-game win streak. I agree. I, I, I think so, too. And let's get back to Ben Roethlisberger and the deep ball to Deontay Johnson. Sure. Two games in a row now you've seen that happen. Two games in a row it's happened early. Not just early on the first drive. Two games in a row you've gotten a 7-0 lead out of it. What a way to start games. It's not sustainable, obviously, because you think that you've teams now start be watching yeah, film right. and be like, yeah, they go for Deontay deep on this first series. Make sure you're keeping an eye on number 18 out there. But I think that Deontay is showing the ability to blow by any defensive back in single coverage. And maybe with Juju being out, this hurts him more because you can give him a little bit more attention now. But 
I mean, you know, you're not going to – any coach isn't going to sit there in the defensive coordinator meeting room and be like, we got a double, triple team Deontay Johnson. Like, that's just not – they're not – he's not there yet with his game that they're right. not going to really say that. They might say that on a couple plays, and they might say to watch out for him on the deep ball, but you're still not at the point where I think you're going to get the attention that he might deserve. So I think you can exploit that as the Steelers. I think you can – you can – I know we said that the book's kind of out on that depot, and maybe it's not happening on the first series this time. I think you can get him again way downfield in this Seattle secondary, and I think that's something you got to look out for. And I think Deontay's the best route runner on this team. I think his route tree is the most complete, sure. and he runs his routes more precise Precisely. than any yeah. of the other receivers on the team, which I, I think is why... You know, they kind of, it's kind of like the racer at Kennywood when you're down that stretch and the blue car and the red car, they're back and forth. That's what Claypool and Deontay kind of are as that number one receiver. But I think Deontay's just inching out a little bit ahead of him at this point right now. Claypool had a hell of a performance, though, against I Denver. I honestly couldn't tell you, Tom. I'm not going to take a stance here because if I do that, I know whichever guy I say, it's going to be the other guy who explodes for the big game this week. And it's, and that's going to be the case. I think every given week, that was like last year, the case too. You know, we, we joked around last year on our Steelers Saturday show. Who do you take in fantasy? If you're a Steelers receiver, it's a crap because you just never know who's going to get the ball. Maybe there's a little more clarity with Juju going down. And it's really just, you can just take both of them and, and Deontay. Yeah. But, Okay, good segue there. So Claypool's or Juju's down. Obviously, Deontay Claypool, number one, number two. You need more options. You think you see more Firemuth and Ebron get involved, or do you think Cody White and Ray Ray McLeod get more involved? I think. I hope it's the former. I think it's the. I, I hope it's the former. I think it's going to be the former yeah. because Ben missed Ray Ray and Cody White on almost the exact same route to the far sideline. Uh, he missed them each once. Uh, on Sunday against Denver after Juju had gone down. So I think that Ben Bennett made the comment later uh, before Juju had the designation of, of, of requiring surgery that which would sideline him for the rest of the year. It was it was said by Ben that he needs to start establishing that relationship with him, which I think he can do, but it's easier to just go with Pat Frymuth and Eric Ebron, guys you already have relationships with. So I think it's going to be the former, and, I, and that's what I hope to see as well. And you'll see a heavy dose of Najee Harris, obviously. Of course. He goes out for passing. I mean, what, was, what, what, what was the comment Ben made when he was saying replacing Juju in the slot? I mean, you have tight ends. You also have a, a running back that you could throw to yeah. as well. Yeah, Najee Harris goes out on a passing route 76% of the time that Ben drops back to pass. That's the most in the NFL by 5%. Alvin Kamara is in second place at 71% win. And if you're beating out Alvin Kamara and that's that, that's significant. Best pass catching running back in the league as far as I'm concerned right now until Najee Harris knocks on that door and eventually blows right through that door. You think he's already doing it, though? He's knocking on it. Yeah. I think he will eventually pass. I don't know if I'm ready to say as a rookie he'll pass Kamara. No, but you think as, as of right now, this moment, at this point in time in this season, he's better at it. Najee? Yeah. Not yet. Well, this this at this point in just this because season, he's going out for more passes doesn't mean he's better at it. But I think that's the, that's the the class he's keeping is is, yeah, a, is right. a Kamara it's kind of style of back. Uh, there, he's sure as hell doing it better than McCaffrey. Well, McCaffrey can't stay on the field. Exactly. I just saw that he was shut down again in Carolina this week. Not so, playing again. No, he. Wow. They tried to work that's him back in the practice I fold. Just released Chuba Hubbard. Nope, he is not going to be playing this week for the Panthers. Um, 
Let's look at the defense real quick before we move completely on from this matchups. I, I think it's pretty easy, honestly, what the defensive game plan is should be. Stack the box. I know Geno can throw the ball, but I want to make him throw the ball. Like I want him to have to beat you. And if he if he's showing in the first half that he's capable of pushing the ball down the field, then you can adjust and start to play a, a more traditional straight-up defense against them. But until that happens, you stack the box, you completely suffocate Alex Collins or DJ Dallas in that running game. You force Geno Smith into having to out to having to throw to beat you. And I, I think the more he drops back to pass, the greater opportunity guys like Watt and Ingram and Hayward and Highsmith are gonna have to sack him because although their offensive line is maybe a bit better than it has been in the past. Still give up about 2.6 sacks per game. So I think game plan, easy. Stack the box, stop the run, force Gino to throw, and when he is dropping back to pass, make him incredibly uncomfortable. He will throw an interception if he feels the pressure. Do you think this is the week where you see the Steelers really return to form in terms of getting to the quarterback with sacks and then forcing turnovers as well. I think they'll have at least four sacks this week. Wow. And I think Minka gets a pick. You think it's Minka? I think it's Minka that gets a pick. I think Minka's been sniffing around a pick the past couple of weeks. Usually when great players are sniffing around like that, they're pretty close to breaking through. And Geno Smith's just the guy to throw one to him. So... But I think the pressure begets the turnover because I think Geno's good enough that if he's got a clean pocket, he's not really going to throw a terrible, well, terrible I don't know. pass. I'm pretty sure that that interception he threw on Thursday night came in a clean pocket. You're right, but I'm just kind of saying that, you know, as far as backups go, he's not the worst. Pete Carroll has been praising his ability to know the offense, you know, check in and out of plays. Mm-hmm. I, I think with an extra week of, of prep, you know, if he's got a clean pocket, it'll be more of a rarity for him to throw a questionable pass because I think he's going to try to be super conservative and just not blow the game. I think that's what the game plan is going to be. But you get pressure on a guy like Geno Smith, and he's going to he's going to revert back to his old habits like that, and it's going to be a force error every time. Exactly. So I think the key is to get that pressure on him. And yeah, I like four sacks in this game. I think it's doable for sure. I think I TJ, would love to see. That I'd love to see TJ get a couple. Have we seen more than two sacks in a game so far this season? I think we saw three. Against the Bills, maybe? Yeah, I think that's the season high so far. And then I think against the Packers, when TG had two, Devin Bush also had that's one. That's true. Bush did have one in that game. But that's not the Steelers' typical MO lately. Mm. They're a four to five sack a game kind of team and led the league. I'd love to see four or five sacks uh, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, or me, Sunday night, rather. I, I do too. And it kind of gets back into. Do you blitz more to create that pressure? Because I think you do, especially against a guy there's like no, Gino. There's no reason. If DK Metcalf is gone. Then there's definitely no There's reason. no reason not to. Even if he's in there, though, uh, I think Gino's – Russell Wilson facing a blitz, you get torched a lot. Gino Smith facing a blitz, I think you win that battle almost nine times out of ten. So I think it's the right quarterback to throw the kitchen sink at and you just let your secondary handle the wide receivers in single coverage he probably won't have enough time mm-hmm. to get the ball to them anyway. So I'd like to see some more blitzing. Ingram and Highsmith, need you two to step up, man. Really need you to step up. You're facing a lot of one-on-ones on the other side. T.J. Watt's getting a tackle and another tight end and a running back. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost every drive that Denver had late in that game, it was triple team, triple team, triple team, triple team, triple team, double team Hayward, double team Hayward, double team Hayward. Five guys committed to just two. 
Where the hell are the other ones? Where's Highsmith? Where's they're not winning their one on ones and Highsmith and Ingram more I mean, we talked about how, you know, uh, Wormley and Bugs, you know, whatever. They're not winning their one on ones. What can you really expect from those guys? I expect Highsmith and Ingram you to do, beat their one on ones. Right. So I think they need to have a big game on Sunday as well. I think you can see a big game, not from not from everyone, of course, because that's a lot to ask for that all eleven guys are gonna have great days, but Especially the guys up front, you expect to hear their names a lot. That'll do it for this episode of Steelers Standards. Seahawks-Steelers this Sunday night at Heinz Field. Both teams trying to get back to 500 on the record. For Jacob Brecht, I'm Tom Opperman. Thanks, as always, for giving us a listen. And we will talk to you guys on our next episode of the Steelers Standard.